0: Shalom mishpucha, Shalom family. Mishpucha is a Hebrew word, means family, and we're the mishpucha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people. With the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man, one new humanity, getting ready, mishpucha, to blow the grandest shofar, or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Now, I was talking to my guest before we went on there. His name is Dr. Jim Richards. And there has been such an abuse on, on the process of uh, sowing and reaping and greed, uh, especially in Christian media, uh, that a lot of believers have thrown out the baby with the dirty bathwater. But my guest has found the God kind of abundance, and it's going to surprise you, but in the times we're living in, we are not designed for failure, and there is a key to abundance in these times of lack. Now, Jim, when you used to sit back and watch christian television and see the fundraising what did you personally think i want i want to go right into your living room what was going on inside of you
1: well you know honestly i thought it was just a i thought it was just a bunch of con men stealing money from people who were desperate and who were hurting and who were trying to grab for their last straw Uh,
0: and you know unfortunately you're typical but as i said at the start of the show we don't want to throw out the baby with the dirty bathwater. There is a principle before God, and it's called a principle of sowing and reaping. And there are, there is confusion in the area of, does God want believers to be in abundance in every area of their life? And I want to straighten that out with you. Uh, but you came from uh, not just poverty— Extreme poverty uh, explain.
1: Well, you know, I was born in a little town in southern Tennessee, and uh, my father was an alcoholic who didn't just abandon our family but uh, would come back fairly regularly and steal everything everything that we had. He would He would steal our food. Uh, I mean, I can even remember as a child him stealing my piggy bank and and taking what little money that I had hidden and and, and stashed back, and so that left my mother to work to raise three children. And um, best I can remember, she worked at a, a clothing store it's called Small World, and they, she made nineteen dollars a week. And so you
0: know, we were- now that was a number of years ago, but a single parent with three children. I don't know how how you guys survived. No,
1: I have I have no idea how we survived. For, fortunately, my mother had a great attitude and she was a hard worker. But you know, we wore shoes with holes in them that were passed down, you know, two or three times. We and we went to school. You know, we had one pair of jeans. Occasionally, we might have two, but for, I can only remember most of the time just having one pair of jeans that you took off and washed every, every few days and maybe a couple of shirts. And, uh, that, that we, we just had to, we just had to get by. And that's how we, that's how I grew up in poverty. Poverty was the norm for me. It was, it was, it was what I knew life to be.
0: So, and, and we'll talk about this a little later, but you literally were programmed to always be in poverty, by what you experienced, and and we've got generations in America that have been programmed uh, to to be on welfare, literally programmed, and they'll never get off unless they find what you found.
1: Oh, that's right. You know, studies show that that if if three generations of people live on welfare or live in any particular standard, that that by the fourth generation, people literally are born into the world hardwired with those kinds of beliefs and with those kinds of ideas. And then other studies even show that, that whatever we believe is normal. Most of our beliefs that are established by the time we're five years old, we will never, ever, ever overcome those. But you don't thank God that in Jesus, there is truth, there's reality, and we don't have to stay where our parents were. We don't have to stay when we were where we were as children. We don't have to stay where the world says we have to stay.
0: Okay. Age twenty eight. You nearly died. What happened to you?
1: Well, I was born with a congenital kidney disease that plagued me all of my life and um uh, and so it, it got worse and got worse. And when I was twenty eight years old, of course I was a believer at the time and I actually was in the ministry and, and had a pretty successful ministry and uh I uh, got up one day with a pain in my back, and before the day was over, I, was, I was, uh, couldn't get out of bed. The next day, I was in a hospital, and, and it was questionable if I, if I would ever live It said that I had the worst kidneys I'd ever seen on anyone that was still alive. And this began a four-year process uh, of um, operations, hospitalizations, missing work. And um, almost all of that was without any uh, insurance. And so it was a time of building up crazy medical bills. And finally, toward the end of it, before I got healed, I was put on an experimental medication that cost $125 a day uh, without insurance. And uh, so I was racking up tens of thousands of dollars in medical bills, doctor bills, hospital bills. And uh, in, in 1983, uh, really, the Lord I uh, connected with God in a way to realize how to walk out of this, how to walk out of this sickness by applying the Word of God to my life, and I did. I was, I was, I was, Oh, yeah. You
0: mean the medicine didn't walk out?
1: No, uh, you know, at the end, the experimental medication basically they said, "Look, this this is going to keep you from getting w- uh, any worse." But uh, as far as this infection you have, but it's going to destroy your kidneys, and and oh. basically it was I was just told it was just going to give me a little bit of extra time to live, and so you know I tell people I'm thankful for doctors; they can keep you alive until you get your heart established in the truth, and uh, that extra time I used to go to the Word of God. As a matter of fact, I, I came to my wife one day and I said, "Listen, I'm I, I'm not going to live much longer if I don't get healed." And so I'm going to quit my job, and uh, I am not leaving this house until I leave this house healed. And I'll either leave her dead, I'll leave her healed, but I will not leave her sick. And so uh, I, I learned how to, how to take the Word of God and influence my heart uh, with the Word of God and, and begin to walk out of this thing day by day, got better, got better, got better. But the problem was, after I was healed... Uh, I was so deeply in debt that uh, there was a part of me that almost wished I'd died, you know, because because now I could now I couldn't pay all these massive
0: bills. Okay, I want to take you to the day you and your wife are having a meal, and you do what you normally do before you eat. You two pray, and this was your prayer: Father, thank you so much that you love us and care for us. I thank you that all our needs are met, and with that. Your wife pounded the table. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I was, you
1: know, I was praying in all sincerity. And she slapped the table and she said, Jim, I am just tired of just having our needs met. And she said, I don't think God wants us to live this way. And honestly, Sid, in my heart, Every defense mechanism imaginable came alive in my heart. You know, I wanted to accuse her of being carnal. I wanted to accuse her of being selfish. I wanted to, you know, accuse her of having a Jezebel spirit.
0: Oh, that would go well for well.
1: <laughs> but, But I knew that she was speaking the truth, and I knew that there was something in me, in my beliefs and my thoughts, that really wasn't right. And really, you know, my male ego, I mean, you stop and think you love your wife, you love your kids, you're, you're wanting to provide for them, and you have all of these justifiable reasons that you're in trouble. And you know, one of the things I've discovered is as long as you've got an excuse that you're willing to entertain, you will never come out of your problem. You'll never come out of your lack uh, as long as you've got an excuse that you can use to justify it. And so at some point, I had to go back to the Word of God and begin to study and look at it like I'd never looked at it before to see what God said about prosperity and success and
0: finances. Uh, was there a key uh, moment, or was it just a series of key moments, that changed your hardwiring for failure?
1: Well, it all, you know... Stuff like this always starts with one key inspiration, and then from there it's a journey from one from one breakthrough to another. But for me, once I sat down, and 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 really, I just uh, I had to go to God in a repentant attitude and say, Father, I, you know. I've, I've I've let myself get to this place. I'm not really providing for my family the, the way I want to, and I'm, I'm going to look at the Bible like I've never looked at it before. And what I began to see was that, that at the same time that Jesus broke the curse of sickness from our lives was the same time that he broke the curse for poverty. And I realized that poverty was a curse, and that I'd been delivered from all the curses of the law. And this is the honest truth. I got on my knees. Now, not This was not like, uh, you know, you're crying and begging, and it's a negative thing. But I just got on my knees and repented, which means to change your mind. I got on my knees, and I said, Father, I accept your forgiveness for living in poverty, because I'm denying the cross of Christ. And I will never be here again unless I give it away or unless I'm suffering for righteousness' sake, but I will never be at this place in life again because I have refused to believe the truth.
0: Out of curiosity, uh, I do know you studied the Word. You got it in your heart. You walked it out. How long did this process—it must have taken you longer than it would take someone that perhaps studied your information, where it's all done for them—
1: You know, here's the incredible thing. God created us to heal in every way. You think about how the body works. We can spend years eating improperly, abusing ourselves, and amazingly, sometimes in just a few weeks, if we stop abusing ourselves and start giving the body what it needs, we can overcome years of abuse in a few weeks or at most a few months, because God the laws and the power to heal are stronger and more effective than the, than the laws and the power to kill. And so the moment it came alive inside me, no matter what my financial situation was, emotionally I began to enjoy life as if it was already taken care of. And honestly, I walked completely out of all of that debt and into really a very a very comfortable life in probably uh, about a year.
0: And as you teach, humans are hardwired by God himself to prosper if you go back before the fall, if you go right back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, explain that.
1: Well, I mean, the very first uh, commandment that God ever gave man was to be fruitful and multiply. You know, we're created in God's likeness and image, and we are supposed to be fruitful and multiply in every situation. And even after the fall, there are so many scriptures about God's desire for us to prosper and God's desire for us to succeed. Now, he wants us to do it without being foolish. He he wants to lead us and teach us in a way that it's not about greed and selfishness, uh, which we can do. We we don't—you know, one of the things I had to get over, Sid, was when I would look at these people that I knew were doing things out of greed, you know, and, and and I would use that as my excuse not to pursue success. You know, God spoke to me and said, just because they're doing this for the wrong reasons doesn't mean you have
0: to do it for the wrong reasons. But I, I want you just to take a couple of minutes and tell me, how you were hardwired for failure before you started getting these revelations from God?
1: Well, our culture our you know, Jesus said that through your tradition, and that's the word culture, he said through your culture you make the Word of God of no effect. So basically uh, the circumstances that we grow up in, or even if you grow up in a family that— Is successful. You you pass judgments about yourself, and you get beliefs in your heart about yourself, and you start believing that you can't succeed or that you can't do what somebody else has done. And so, through a combination,
0: yeah, no, I see that. And by the way, I see what you're saying in healing with many Christians. Many Christians read a couple of promises or hear a teaching on the air, uh, and and they pray to be healed of fairly simple things, and they're not healed, and they get into a rut where they wouldn't say it with their mouth, but they anticipate the prayer isn't going to work. Have you you bumped into that?
1: Oh, oh yeah. And see, you know, one of the concepts that's almost void in this generation is that God didn't tell us to, to, to know these things in our mind. He told us to believe these things in our heart. And, and most of this generation has no concept or idea about, about how to influence our heart with the Word of God. And if we don't influence our heart with the Word of God, we will take, we'll do exactly what you said. There, we'll take these scriptures, and yes, they promise us this and that, but inside of us, we honestly don't believe it's
0: really going to happen. If there's someone like that... In reference to finances, in reference to healing, in reference to the salvation of their loved ones, in in, in reference uh, to uh, just plain peace, and and they're they're in this vicious cycle. Is there a way out?
1: Oh yeah. Now it's it's hard, and I'll tell you why it's so hard. The our entire life. We have all of these experiences where we succeed, we fail, we get by, things work or whatever. But in our mind, we come up with a view of how our life is supposed to work. And the mind always works to preserve the ego. And the ego is that false sense of who you think you are based on your life's experience. Now. Dying to self is not dying is not living this horrible life or giving up your dreams. Dying to self is dying, dying to the idea of who you are outside of Jesus, and mentally.
0: I, I, I'm. I'm. T- wait a second. That was so important, so simple, but so important. I want you to make that statement again, please.
1: The dying to self is when we die to any thought, any idea that we have of who we are outside of Jesus.
0: Yeah, You know what? Uh, When we come back, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what you've learned, Dr. Jim Richards, uh, as far as your heart and the believing in your heart. Uh, But I I am so excited you prepared just for... um, Messianic Vision, It's Supernatural Audience, three CDs, a set of the God kind of abundance. And uh, you have your brand new book, Wired for Success, Program for Failure. Tell me what you believe in your heart will happen with people with problems uh, in every area of prosperity after they read this book and practice it
1: after they put this in uh, read this and start putting this in practice along with the information we have on those CDs they're going to have the resources they need to uh to write God's truth on their heart to renew their mind and literally begin a new path in life literally literally get a new destiny if you will the God destiny for how their life is supposed to work and it's going it's going to Give them exercises, very practical things that they can do. And it's all going to be based on what the Bible says about who they really are in Jesus.
0: Well, we're making the book and the one of a kind three CDs because it was produced just for you uh, through our ministry available for a gift of $40. And if you can add something more, uh, talking about having uh, abundance as far as I'm concerned sowing in the right ground is as important as sowing. And, uh, you know, if you're sowing bad ground, don't expect a big harvest. We are reaching souls. We have found out God's law of evangelism by going to the Jew first. It opens up a supernatural door to reach more Gentiles. We are equipping Christians all over the world, on how to operate in the supernatural for the sake of evangelism, and i I don't know a more fertile ground at this moment. It is the the set time to favor Zion. We have the tools we're doing it when we come back. I'm going to believe that your heart will be believing the right things, not the wrong. Call our order only line one eight hundred. 447 447 Hello, Sid Roth here with Dr. Jim Richards. And uh, Jim, I have a question for you. Okay. Billions of dollars have been spent or are being spent in welfare, in helping needy people. And I know people in need, and I'm very grateful that they have this. But it's creating generations more of people that won't be able to take care of themselves. Uh, If we could take some of that government money and put you in charge of training people, what difference would it make in their lives?
1: Well, the first thing, the first difference it would make would be instead of exalting the vain, ego-driven, anti-God ideas that are being driven by government, we would do this the way the Bible teaches you. know, The Bible is not against having a a welfare program, but the Bible has guidelines about how to help the poor. And because we believe the Word of God, first of all, we we, we would have to accept the fact that any time we violate God's guidelines for helping the poor— that we're going to do more damage than we do good. And what we see in the big picture, I mean, there's so many violations of the Word of God in our current welfare system that it's just staggering. But one of the main things that we see is this. As we mentioned earlier, uh, studies show, and this is not a Christian study, this is not a godly study, this is just a study that was done by the government, but studies show that if, if up to three generations of people live on welfare, that by the fourth generation people come into this world wired to believe or to need feel like they need assistance to feel like somebody has to take care of them. And see this is what the bible is talking about when god says that iniquity which is the twisting and the rejection of god's word is visited to third and fourth generations it's not god trying to make these things happen to generations he's saying that when when we teach our children's wrong children wrong, this goes from generation to generation to generation. And the only way to break what's happening in those generations is to establish God's truth in people's hearts. And so I would have not only a massive training program that taught people actually how to work instead of how to get something for nothing, I would I would begin teaching people uh, the truth of God's work in their heart and how to see and experience themselves as being successful, see and experience themselves as being able to succeed in life and not being victims.
0: Uh, these people and you had an imaginary external boundary. Explain That's that. Right.
1: Well, the Bible tells us In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23, it says that, uh, it says, Guard your heart above all else, for out of it flow the issues of life. Now, that word issues in the Hebrew could have and maybe should have been translated as boundaries. And what, what we realize from this passage of Scripture is that any perceived boundary in your life, you know, our tendency is to look at these boundaries and say, well, that's out there, you know, because... of of my color, because of my education, because of my family, because of what's going on in the economy. We come at all of these reasons that we have these boundaries in life. But the Bible says that these boundaries are the product of what we believe in our heart. So uh, these things that have been culturally imposed upon us, and as much as I hate to say it, our government is deliberately creating this mentality in people because If you make people feel like victims, and if you make people feel helpless, then you can control them. And that's the goal behind these programs. The goal is not really to help people. It's to control people. And the more people believe that they have to have someone to do something for them, then the stronger that boundary becomes entrenched. And they believe they can never get past where they are.
0: How you start believing what's right as opposed to your program for failure. And as you explained, it's not just people in poverty. Uh, Even before that, many Christians have the belief that if they're wealthy, it's sin. That if they're prosperous, it's sin. They should have been using this money for other people that have needs. And they look down at people that are prosper in this life. Uh, were you like that?
1: Oh, yeah. You know, you, know, when, when, you when you're poor, you know, your parents, are, you, you don't have good of food to eat, and so you sit down, there's not much there. And, and, you know, your parents make these statements, well, you know, children all over the world are starving, or children in China are hungry tonight. And so you start developing this mentality that if I ate less, somebody in China or India or Africa would have more. Or if I eat more, they're going to have less. That is an absolute lie. That is that is a demonic lie that has been bred into the world that when people believe it makes people feel guilty for success. And I'll tell you, the people that are telling us these lies are mega millionaires. They're the most wealthy people in the hmm. world that are saying, you guys need to not use so much water when you flush your toilet. And they're they're pouring water down the toilet. <laughs> oh, 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 that's right. But see, you know, here's here's what I've discovered. I've discovered that when you are poor, well, first of all, poverty is curse. and and Jesus delivered us from the curse, which means we don't have to stay there unless we're there for ignorance, unbelief, or uh, or circumstances, like say, suffering for righteousness' sake, but. But very few people are suffering for righteousness sake in America. We are living in poverty because we don't believe the truth about God's Word. And and really, that's got to be the starting place. We have got to say, what does God's Word say, and what did Jesus accomplish at the cross? And the moment we come to that reality, we have to be willing to give up all of our culture. We have to be willing to give up what our government says, what our family says, what our educators say, and we have to we have to take God's word to heart, and we have to say if if this is God's promise, then it's His promise for me, and because I'm in Jesus, I am qualified for this promise. Now I might not know how I'm going to get there, and sometimes we do that. Sometimes we're like we're, we're sort of like you know what I, I want to believe this, but how would it happen? Well, the Bible says, "Lean not to your own understanding. You're not going to figure this out." But it comes back to if you believe God's word and then out of that you follow Jesus personally as your Lord, as your shepherd. You 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 every single day you get up, you follow him, and you trust him. As your shepherd, he will lead you away from lack. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want or shall not lack. God always leads you away from lack, he always leads you into green pastures and still waters. And what happens is is in lack, you're scrambling for your life. You don't really have time to even serve God. You don't even have time to really be the kind of father or parent that you want to be. And you don't have the resources to be a blessing to anybody. So really, this whole this whole story about the whole world is going to have less if you have more. Not only is it a lie, but it, it, it's a reverse. Because the fact that I've had more—I have employed hundreds of people throughout my life. I have kept people
0: in jobs. But but, but wait, wait a second, Jim. Uh, what about the story in the New Testament about the rich young ruler, and he was told to give away everything he has?
1: You know that I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a, that's a story that people bring up, and Jesus. And his disciples were shocked at this because, because they were thinking, man, he, he's got money. He's obviously got the blessings of God. And, and, but Jesus qualified that because he, he tells his disciples how difficult it is for someone who trusts in money to inherit the kingdom of God. And his problem wasn't that he had money. His problem was that money was what he trusted in. And anybody that trusts in money, the Bible says, the prosperity of a fool is their destruction. So we're not talking about trusting in money. We're talking about trusting in God and money and resources becoming the fruit of following God into his promises.
0: So someone's listening to us right now. They're not in poverty. Uh, They're kind of average, should they aspire to be prosperous financially? What do you believe?
1: Well, I would think I would think that if we have a healthy sense of self-worth, if we have a desire to be a blessing to other people, and uh, and a desire to reflect God's true nature, and if we're just yielding to how God created us, there's always going to be in us that tendency to want to grow and to want to expand, and that's going to come over into the area of wealth and resources. And, you know, God told the children of Israel, he said, listen, I am the one that gives you the power to get wealth.
0: Is that just special people, or is that everyone?
1: Now, the Bible says that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So even though he made that to promise to the children of Israel, the fact that we are in Jesus says that now, that promise is ours, too.
0: I I want you to—there's so many things I want to ask you, uh, but I want you to talk a little bit about your understanding of the law of sowing and reaping.
1: You know, and the law of sowing and reaping, which is a a scriptural law, and, and sadly, you know, most of the places that the Bible talks about sowing and reaping, it's talking about more about our character. It's talking about more about developing ourselves. But this law of sowing and reaping does come over into the, the realm of finances. But it doesn't necessarily—it's it, not the type of thing that we've been taught. We've been taught that we could give, and it's almost like God would owe us something back. And and uh, we can't make God indebted to us for anything.
0: Um, uh, you know, something is right or wrong, I, I have always given— because I've read in the Bible about you're supposed to tithe. So my whole walk in the Lord was tithing, and maybe my thinking was wrong, but I wasn't looking for anything from God. I was just being obedient to what the Word said. And you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm 74 years young, and I find that God has blessed me. But I didn't go around saying, God, if I give this money, I want you to give me something else. Is that wrong?
1: You know what? There are a lot of destroyed, distraught, angry people out there who gave to God to force God to give them something back. It didn't happen, and they're angry. You know, Sid, my journey was a lot like yours. When I got saved, you know, I was a drug dealer and a rock and roll musician, and I didn't feel like uh, I, I wanted to go back into those things if I was going to walk with God. And I had about $800 in the bank. And I had heard of tithing. and I never didn't you know, I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't feel like I had to do it. I didn't, But I wanted to. I, man, I wanted to give. I wanted to be—it was just in me, the desire to be a blessing. And so I went to church on Sunday morning. I had about $800 in the bank, and I gave $80. And I went back to church on Sunday night, and I had seven hundred twenty dollars in bank, and I gave seventy two dollars. And every time I went to church, I tithed on every penny that I had. <laughs> and but my goal was—I wasn't trying to get anything from God. My, I was excited about being able to give to missions and people get saved and 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 support this this uh, this a uh, ministry that was helping me grow in this sort of thing. But but you know, there's an there's a, a, a interesting phenomenon. The Bible talks about the grace of giving. Now, there's a lot of goofy stuff being taught about grace, but the truth is the Bible tells us to pursue, well, actually it tells us to pursue the grace of generosity. And what I have found is when we are healthy and we are yielding to the God character in us, we are going to want to be generous. And the amazing thing—the way you know—the word grace just means ability, strength, capacity that comes by divine uh, favor and works in the heart. The way that grace works is this: if I get the grace to be generous, in other words, and I'm not praying for grace, I'm just I'm just seeking God to like, the Father, I want, I, you know, I, I want to give, I want to be a blessing to others, and and if that becomes a motivation in us amazingly grace is a two-sided coin the more I, I grow in this capacity to be generous the more I grow in the capacity to receive uh,
0: you know you know you talk a little bit about I mean this marvelous teaching you put together in the three CD set You you talk about people that win the lotteries and they haven't developed the character from the Word of God, and almost all of them lose it fast.
1: Not only do they lose it, they tend to go even more deeply in debt. And to me, that's the perfect example of the person that is not developing their heart in the area of generosity. They're not developing their character, and and they're, they're going to be worse off by pursuing uh, prosperity than the person that just keeps going. But if every step of the way in our journey, we are we are being generous, we're, we're kind, we're sowing, we're being a blessing, then our character is going to grow exponentially with the level of prosperity. And that means that that whenever we prosper, it's not going to destroy us. It's not going to hurt us. In fact, it's just going to be a blessing to more and more people.
0: Tell me a little bit about uh, a subject that it's so deep and so important and so misunderstood, and that is how do we believe God's promises in our heart? In other words, not in our mind, in our heart. Right.
1: The Bible, the Bible presents the concept that all transformation, and as far as I can see, this all every aspect of transformation for the New Covenant believer involves three basic phases, and one is to put off the old man, put off any aspect of thinking, feeling, believing, or behavior that is in contradiction to the new man. So so putting off the old man is is, 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 a choice. Then the Bible tells us that the next phase in that is to renew our minds, and this is where we and look at what God's Word says, and we surrender our opinion. We very deliberately—you know, and I had to do this. I would come up on scriptures about, about uh, uh, my desires being fulfilled, all of my needs being met, and I would sit there and go, well, you know, that's not happening for me. So what kind of opinions have I developed about life that—and uh, I developed the opinion of just getting by. And so I said, okay, getting by is not consistent with, with what God's Word says getting by is not based on the promises of God. And so I'm going to I'm going to let go of that. I'm going to change my mind, which is to repent. And I'm going to choose to believe what God's word says about about this, that I should have more than enough. I should have more than enough to be a blessing to every good work. And then the then the third aspect of transformation, which is about influencing the heart, is putting on the new man. Now the interesting thing about the heart, the heart is is more about what you believe about you. It's not just what I believe about finances in general. Do I believe that I in Jesus as a new person? Do I believe that I am prosperous in him? I am healed by his stripes. I, you know, all, Do I believe that all these promises of God are true for me right now? And if I do, then I start putting them on. You know when I got healed of this kidney disease is where I learned how to do this because I would take all of the promises of God about healing, about who I was in Jesus, about the names of God, and I would use those to worship. and And when I would worship and confess these, I would I would think about okay, if this is true, what what would I look like doing this? What would I be doing right now? So as I'm as I'm confessing scriptures about Father, I thank you that you give me the power to get well. I would bring every resource I had to bear on, on what I would look like and what my experience would be. And as, that, as I begin to be able to see, perceive, and experience myself being this and doing this, that's when I know there's a change taking place in my heart. And that's the key because, you see, if we don't change our hearts, Every time a circumstance comes along, it's going to throw us off. Our emotions are going to change. We're going to get thrown off. But when we establish this in our heart, so that it is who we see ourselves to be, then the truth is it really doesn't matter what circumstances come. You know, I had somebody embezzle every penny I had a few years ago. I mean, every single penny I had. It never changed my feelings of success. It never changed my feelings of prosperity. And the honest truth was, in less, than, in, in less than eight months, I had actually uh, recovered, not because I took the person to court, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong taking the court, but because I'm, I just, my wife and I said, you know something, we got here by following God, we will get recovered by following God. And the main thing was, I couldn't even see myself in my heart as being broke.
0: Okay, we have to take a break right now. I really believe uh, that uh, a key question I want to ask you uh, is, does God want me rich? Uh, The tools that you have, they're balanced, but here's what's going to happen with them. We call this package the key to abundance in a time of lack. I don't think this. I know that you will accept these principles because they're biblical, and I know that that Dr. Jim Richards is not speaking as a college professor. He's lived it, and he says what God has done for him, God wants to do for you, and he's not doing it because of greed. He wants to see the kingdom of God expand and expanding your life. Look, some of you give money to us and I believe that God wants to raise up millionaires. That's my belief. Some of you that are listening right now because we I have a vision for reaching all of Israel. I see executive offices there, where we'll have mentoring centers, where we'll have our television, where we'll be, we'll be actually broadcasting uh, end-time prophecy. I see Israel as the first saved Jew, uh, nation on the planet. And so Genesis twelve three says, I, God, will bless those who bless the Jewish people. There is no greater blessing than he who wins souls is wise. Be right back. This special, The Key to Abundance in a Time of Lack is available for a gift of $40. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 447 2697 This is Sid Roth back with Dr. Jim Richards. And uh, Jim, as I, I said before the break, does God want me to be rich? Does God want you to be rich?
1: And, you know, the answer to that is an incredibly overwhelming yes all the way from the book of Genesis through the book of Revelation. The Bible says that God has exalted his word and his name above all else. You know, God's name is not Jehovah will make you broke. His name is his you know Jehovah, the one who meets our needs, the one who heals us, the one who blesses us, the one who protects us, the one who gives us peace. so there's nowhere in God's name that God says that he that he wants us to be poor and and in truth, even though poverty was a curse of the law, that was never even God's will for man. God warned man about that so that he would know that, uh, look, if you if you live in foolishness, you're going to be destroyed. But most importantly, God not only gave us the promises of wealth, he gave us the how-to to to walk into wealth, and he gave us the how to do it in a way that would absolutely never destroy us.
0: Okay, what about people? That's in this country. What about people in a third-world country? Does he want them rich, someone living in a hut in Africa that doesn't have enough money to even provide his food? Uh, in other in, in words, how far do you take this?
1: You, you know, God's promises are absolute and they're universal. My, my, my favorite story was a little mountain place I used to go to to do missions work, and I found a family living in a concrete drainage pipe. And, uh, and now that's that's pretty poor.
0: Yeah, you can't get lower than that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's right. And you know, I shared these principles with them, and I came back in about six months, and uh, they had a chicken. Now, you know, po- uh, poverty and prosperity is all relative, and so for for that family, that was that was prosperity. But then I came back about six months later, and they had a chicken and a goat. So now they had now they had goat's milk and eggs, and you know when I came back about six months later, they had moved out and they were they were living in an in an actual home, and so yeah, I have preached this message all over the world, but I think the people who have trouble with staying well, that, this doesn't apply overseas. They're not really thinking about prosperity. They're not thinking about God's perspective of just having m- more than enough. They're thinking about driving fancy cars or things that are not even relevant to somebody that's living in the mountain country somewhere.
0: What about Jesus says uh, that money is the root of all evil? A lot of Christians would throw that out to you.
1: Well, actually, yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because actually what the Bible really says is it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And in fact... The word money, if I recall in that verse, is the same word where it says you can't serve God and mammon. And actually, those words are not literally the, the same Greek word for money. It's a word that has to do with really more about what you trust. And the concept there is, is trusting money and, and trying to get your security and your self-worth and your identity from money. But um, there's nowhere that the Bible tells you that money itself is is uh, is evil. It's not good and it's not evil. It's... But
0: but you know most Christians, but most Christians, Jim, would say uh, if someone is wealthy, uh, they're not a very spiritual person. They should give all their wealth away.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, only a poor person thinks that way. Only a person has bought into a a (laughs) poverty mentality. I used to tell people, uh, you know, sometimes when I would receive an offering, and I've never pushed hard for offerings, but I would say this kind of jokingly. I would say, now, if if you're uncertain about giving, I just want to say this. You may leave here tonight and get drunk with that money. You may leave here tonight and do something foolish. You may destroy your life with that money, but I want you to understand when you give when you give this money we're going to reach people for jesus we're going to save marriages and heal families and help people you see the money in itself is not good or evil if 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 all of the people for example if i suddenly gave away every penny i had uh then i would have to lay off a bunch of people that work for me those people would be out of jobs and then I would not be creating money that I'm using to reach the world for Jesus. I wouldn't be creating money that I'm using to help educate people and pull people out of desolation. So it's a judgment that a person doesn't have the right to make that you're evil just because you have money.
0: Uh, No, it's my belief that way, first of all, it's my belief that we're coming into the toughest times in the history uh, of the world, and in particular the United States. But God's about ready to make millionaires out of Christians that have developed their fruit of the Spirit and their character. That's what I believe.
1: I think you're exactly right. And that's part of why I wrote the book Wired for Success. Is the Lord began to show me? What, this was before the economy collapsed. He began to show me what was going to happen in the economy, and began to show me, you know, that when things are good, anybody can succeed if they want to work hard and, and observe some obvious rules of success. But when things are hard and difficult, you've got to be able to follow God from your heart into how He wants you to succeed in this situation and where His blessings can be discovered. And I I think that we're headed into a day when, when, when it's essential that we know how to prosper, even when everything around us is falling apart.
0: But what about that scripture that says, "The wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous"? Do you believe that that could be right now? That there could be a great wealth transfer about ready to happen? I absolutely do. And
1: and I I believe we're going to see that scripture fulfilled in more ways than we can even fathom right up until when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom, and it ultimately happens in its completion. But I believe it's happening. I believe this is the day that we need to be believing for that.
0: Okay. What would you advise someone that is listening to us right now how to prepare for what is coming and yet be the head and not the tail? Well,
1: I think it's real obvious that, that we all need to seriously look at how we're managing our money. And honestly, I see more poor people that are managing their money in greed and foolishness than I do successful wealthy people. Uh, you need to get out of debt if you can. You, But more than anything else, uh, there's all these practical things. There has to be I, this willingness to number one, choose to believe God's truth about provision. Number two, develop your heart so that you can hear God's voice speaking to you, so that as when other people are running around in panic, you're going to be like a person who has a spiritual GPS that you're going to know how to make those decisions. But you won't make those decisions in the hard times if you're not willing to learn to do that now in good times. There's nothing more important and developing your heart and your capacity to hear God in your heart.
0: Tell me about your new book, Wired for Success, Program for Failure, and the three-CD set, The God Kind of Abundance, and we call the entire package The Key to Abundance in a Time of Lack.
1: Well, the three-CD set, as you mentioned, was I recorded that specifically for your listening audience. And I did that very prayerfully because I know that you are speaking to people that want to hear from God. I know you're speaking to people that, that trust God. So I want to make sure that they saw prosperity and success from God's perspective. And, and let, me, let me say this, Sid. Over the years, I have had hundreds and hundreds of people come out of dire poverty to living in abundance, to managing businesses, to being successful, and even becoming millionaires who who didn't lose their soul as they prospered, but continued to be a blessing. And so I know this can happen for the people that are listening today. So this Three Cities Set was taught specifically for people who believe God, believe God's Word, and want to connect to God in their heart about, about uh, finances. The book, Wired for Success is the ABCs of saying, I want to renew my mind based on what God's Word says about success, and then I want to write that onto my heart, and I, want, and, and I need the tools to do it. So this book gives practical input about how to make this journey, no matter where you are, no matter if you're desperately broke, if you're just getting by, uh, you can make this journey and transform your heart.
0: Uh, We just have a few minutes left. We want to make that entire package, which I think is mandatory, more so now than ever before in history. The book and the three exclusive CDs we have, and the kit is called The Key to Abundance in a Time of Lack. And I believe that you can pray right now and break that stronghold of poverty over people that are listening.
1: In the name of Jesus, and if you're listening, you, 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 you make this alive in your own heart. In the name of Jesus, I choose today to break free from the bonds of lack and desperation. Poverty will not be my destruction, but the blessings of the Lord are mine, and he gives me the power to get wealth. And I determine in the name of Jesus that I will live in my true inheritance So let you leave me now in the name of Jesus, I call myself blessed, I call myself fulfilled, I call myself prospered in Jesus' name.
0: Uh, You know, I have a vision for churches all over the world to get your material and teach it, because as you point out, if churches had taught God's Word on wealth, then the money and the control would not be in the hands of the wicked.
1: That's right. That's right. But we will find a way to do that as much as we can. You and I are working together on it.
0: It's going to happen. And it's not an accident that you're listening to this interview. And it's not an accident that God has given you his heart to reach Jewish people. And it's not an accident that God has equipped us with the tools, I mean, amazing tools. Yeah, and And the more money that we have, the more souls that we are going to reach. And when we get to Academy Rewards Night, together we'll get that Oscar from the Lord. Uh, so whatever you can include above the $40 for the gift, it'll be poured into Jewish ministry.
1: Proverbs 10, 15 says the destruction of the poor is their poverty. And so it's time for poverty to stop being your destruction. But Psalms thirty five twenty seven says, Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. You want to make God happy? Stop being poor and start enjoying prosperity. And the Bible says God is going to have pleasure in that. Wir
0: grünen
1: Issad
0: is rife with comparisons about what separates us. Day after day, we go about our lives with tunnel vision. But scripture tells us how Messiah broke down the wall between Jew and Gentile, allowing for the creation of one new man, one new humanity. This spiritual completeness is set to usher in the greatest move toward God the world has ever known. Log on to SidRoth.org today and learn how one new man is the key to unlocking God's greatest blessings place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1-800-447-2697. That's 1-800-447-2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free. Our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.